Good evening. The damaged Florida condominium is demolished as rescuers continue to search for survivors in the rubble of the Champaign Towers. Joe Biden celebrates the 4th of July, climate change and COVID, and fascists march in Philadelphia to mark their vision of the holiday. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, July 5th, 2021. Rescuers searched through fresh rubble from the last of the collapsed Champaign Towers condo as it was demolished, allowing crews into previously inaccessible places, including bedrooms, where people were believed to be sleeping at the time of the disaster. The demolition occurred late Sunday. A loud rat-a-tat of explosions echoed from the structure. The building began to fall, one floor after another, cascading into a cloud of dust. Plumes billowed into the air as crowds watched from a distance. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava. The demolition began at 10.30 p.m., and the building fell, as was planned, towards Collins Avenue. Only dust landed on the existing pile. To collapse an entire apartment building is a devastating decision, and the demolition was in no way a decision that I made lightly. Bringing the building down in a controlled manner was critical to expanding our scope of search. Truly, we could not continue without bringing this building down. The area closest to the building was the area that we had not been able to access, and that is where we we needed to go. Since the first responders were able to resume their work on the collapse last night, we have very sadly recovered three additional victims. The total number of confirmed deaths is now at 27. The number of those accounted for is 191 and unaccounted for 118. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava approaching Tropical Storm Elsa added urgency and President Joe Biden declared a state of emergency in Florida because of the storm making federal aid possible. The latest forecast showed the storm moving westward, mostly missing South Florida, but the area near the collapsed building experienced thunderstorms on Monday. And the death troll is rising as crews peel away layer upon layer of the collapsed condo with more than 115, as many as 118 people still accounted for. The task of identifying remains threatens to overwhelm the local medical examiner's office. The federal government has sent a team of five people from the University of Florida to help with DNA analysis. But as time passes, DNA identification will become less reliable. Lieutenant Colonel Oz Gino, the commander of an Israeli search and rescue battalion working at the Florida site, said his team used blueprints of the building to create detailed 3D images of the disaster to aid in the search and plot the most likely location for survivors. Many of the building's occupants are Jewish and emergency workers are being careful to heed religious sensitivities as they handle what they find. The search for survivors could take another two weeks before the recovery phase begins, which could also run for weeks. And emerging from the White House yesterday to hail to the chief, President Joe Biden addressed the largest event of his administration to declare all across this nation we can say America is coming back together. Pulling a card from his pocket, though, Biden struck a somber tone as he read the total number of U.S. COVID-19 deaths to date, 603,018 people. But the message was hopeful and a sharp contrast between what the country was, where the country was a year ago and between where the country was a year ago and today. 
celebrate America. A day of history, of hope, remembrance and resolve, of promise and possibilities. Before me stands monuments of the greatest and the goodness of our nation. Monuments of light and liberty. There's a towering memorial to George Washington, the general who led our revolution, the president who set our nation on its course. There's a memorial to Thomas Jefferson, whose words about liberty and equality literally changed the world. And across the tidal basin from the Jefferson Memorial, there stands Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His arms crossed, his eyes fixed ahead toward the promised land where equality is not only an aspiration, but a reality. President Joe Biden yesterday at the White House. And Afghan military officials say the United States left Afghanistan's Bagram airfield after nearly 20 years by shutting off the electricity and slipping away in the night without notifying the base's new Afghan commander, who discovered the Americans' departure more than two hours after they left. Afghanistan's army showed off the sprawling air base Monday, providing a rare first glimpse of what had been the epicenter of America's war to unseat the Taliban and hunt down al-Qaeda. The Pentagon says a final withdrawal of U.S. forces will be completed by the end of August. The airfield reportedly includes a prison with about 5,000 prisoners, many of them allegedly Taliban. The turnover comes as Taliban fighters have been surging across the country. In northern Afghanistan, district after district has fallen to the Taliban. In the last two days, hundreds of Afghan soldiers fled across the border into Tajikistan rather than fight the insurgents. The U.S. is said to have left behind three and a half million items, all itemized by the departing U.S. military, including tens of thousands of bottles of water, energy drinks, and military ready-made meals known as MREs. Among the larger items left are commercial vehicles without keys, but they took the heavy weapons with them. Peace activist Kathy Kelly has traveled often to Afghanistan. She says U.S. withdrawal is a necessary first step to reconciliation. The presence has certainly exacerbated the corruption, the presence of uh, very, very dangerous warlords and really mafia-like practices within Afghanistan. So certainly the United States should leave, but reparations, I believe, ought to be paid to people in Afghanistan who suffer desperately because of what we've done. And reparations also means that you stop the policies that create wreckage and havoc. How should that reparations be given? I mean, cash I mean, to the Taliban? It seems difficult for the U.S. to get itself around being on the side of helping a government that's led by the Taliban after everything that's happened. Thinking outside the box is important. The United Nations does exist, and the Security Council, I believe, is an abomination. But if an escrow account could be created into which reparations would be placed, it would be very, very difficult to find groups who could responsibly rehabilitate the agricultural infrastructure within Afghanistan. Certainly no money should be given to any of the NATO countries that have contributed toward the wreckage of Afghanistan. But there are other countries who possibly could become much better stewards, and there are aid groups that have stayed above the fray of corruption and could 
give good advice. I think about the International Commission of the Red Cross, of the emergency surgical centers in terms of health care in Afghanistan, the demining groups that have so bravely tried to clear out the unexploded ordinance all across Iraq. There are 38 agencies of the UN uh, working in Afghanistan, and many of them do things that are important, like people who set up the refugee camps, the High Commission for Refugees, and people who try to do environmental protection. So I don't think we should walk away from Afghanistan. We've caused enormous suffering. And who benefited? People that were generals who wanted promotions or maybe hoped that they'd get roles like Lloyd Austin did and Raytheon and then perhaps could make another jump from there into U.S. government. Who benefited? Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin. These are traitorous companies. They've betrayed the people in the United States by the bloodshed and the horror they've caused, they're, they've acted criminally. I don't want to see anyone go to jail, but I'd like to see people rehabilitated. So, yes, rehabilitation, a, a practical approach to the United States military so that we no longer consider it such a sacred cow. We can't solve the problems we face or the problems Afghanistan faces if we don't dismantle the obscene and horrific United States military budget and the terrible military contractors. Peace activist Kathy Kelly, the air base at Bagram once housed 100,000 U.S. troops. Now it's been left silent and dark. Power was cut 20 minutes after the last American left. And the heat dome that brought temperatures soaring over 100 degrees in the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada has sparked calls for more urgency for the world to confront the effects of global warming. Basically, more extreme weather, droughts and soaring temperatures in unlikely parts of the globe. The director general of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Adhanom, usually concerns himself with the COVID pandemic sweeping the world. But in a Friday briefing, the WHO director said climate change is contributing to the spread of COVID by impacting the economies of low-lying countries and island nations. On an almost day-to-day basis, we are now seeing the impact of the climate crisis. Record-breaking, scorching heat waves, catastrophic storms and changing weather patterns are impacting food systems, disease, dispersion, and societies at large. The time for lofty words is over. There needs to be concerted action backed by financial resources to mitigate the consequences of climate change while we work to keep temperatures down and scale green innovations. In those countries with low vaccination coverage, terrible scenes of hospitals overflowing are again becoming the norm. Dr. Tros, uh, Dr. Tedros Adnam is Director General of the World Health Organization. The effects of climate change will be seen in more extreme weather events like the heat dome over the Northwest, says North Carolina State University meteorologist Carl Schreck. A heat dome is, a, we call it like a ridge of high pressure. So when air gets very hot, hot air expands. As the air near the surface gets hotter, it kind of pushes the atmosphere above it up higher as it expands and you get this large area of high pressure. And we especially look at it like about five miles up, uh, kind of gives us an idea of where the jet stream is. And when you have one of these heat domes or ridges, it pushes the jet stream way far to the north. And uh, you get really, you know, these really warm temperatures underneath it. 
And then because the jet stream gets pushed so far to the north, it kind of slows down the jet stream, and you get these patterns that kind of stick around a bit longer than they, they usually would. What do you think about the news reporting, you know, in general? Are they telling the story a little bit too heatedly for a hot story? Uh, lots of puns intended there. Um, yeah. It really has been shattering all-time records for some of these locations. Portland, it was more than seven degrees above its all-time record. Not just barely breaking these records, but really shattering some of them. This isn't Arizona or uh, Texas or Florida that are kind of somewhat used to the heat. I don't think it's overstated how significant an event this is. Is this about increased CO2 in the atmosphere, all the things we've been hearing about? We won't know for a while how much of an impact global warming had on this particular event. But what we can say is we know that global warming has been making extreme heat events stronger, longer lasting, and more frequent. And our computer models tell us that that's going to continue to happen. And we have been able to look at past heat waves in other areas and try to figure out you know, there's only one Earth, so it's kind of hard to know whether things would have happened without humans or not. But in a computer model, we have the advantage where we can run the Earth as it is, and then we can run the Earth as it would have been without humans. And we can see how often a particular heat wave happens in each of those scenarios. For other heat waves in the past, more often than not, when they check one of these major heat waves, it ends up being significantly stronger or uh, more frequent because of climate change. Is this an inconvenience or how hot could it get? Humans are really good at adapting. It's not going to escalate out of control to become Venus, but it is going to be increasingly. These temperatures that they're experiencing in the Northwest, humans can't survive outside for any length of time in those conditions. Yeah, eventually we'll build the infrastructure to have more air conditioning and so forth, but it'll be expensive and painful. Can it be reversed? Could we change this if we had the right leadership? Yes, it'll take time and things, even if we stopped emitting everything right now, the carbon dioxide that's already in the atmosphere will continue to warm the earth for a few decades, but it is something that we can fix eventually. My main research is actually tropical meteorology, uh, things like El Nino and La Nina and how those affect oh. us in the U.S. and also how they affect hurricanes. One of the things I do is look at every month when the National Centers for Environmental Information and in NOAA put out their state of the climate report saying where was it hot, where was it cold. I try to look at what the main drivers were of that event. In a couple of weeks, I'll be looking back at this particular event and trying to figure out what were the main climate patterns that led to this extreme heat. North Carolina State University meteorologist Carl Schreck, currently at 72 in New York City. Tomorrow, the heat will return with temperatures near 100 degrees through Wednesday with a return to the low 80s by Thursday. Stay hydrated and keep cool. Meanwhile, climate change is affecting the entire globe with unusually warm weather even in Siberia. But one area that directly impacts the United States is the growing droughts and storms blasting Central America and contributing to the migrant flow. 
According to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security officials, more than one million migrants have been arrested after illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border since last October. The Biden administration has continued to rely on a public health authority known as Title 42, allowing border authorities to claim the COVID pandemic as a reason to turn back over 850,000 migrants. The administration has been reportedly quietly planning to end the use of Title 42. Immigration and human rights advocates call it an unnecessary and cruel impediment to asylum seekers. Journalist Todd Miller, author of Build Bridges, Not Walls, and other books on the border, says the situation is worsening because a climate disaster is threatening Central America and driving the migration. He reports from Arizona. The crisis that they that people have been talking about, the border, you can say, is in a perpetual crisis. It's designed to be in crisis. It's designed in such a way that people are forced into the desert. Where I live in Arizona, there are lots of people walking through the desert through 100-degree temperatures. The border has a thing called a consequence delivery system in which people will face um, incarceration if they cross the border. Right now, there's uh, right now there's Title 42, which is a pandemic-era CDC order which calls for rapid expulsions of people. This idea of the border suddenly being in crisis just now is a manufactured rhetorical point. We have a border that's designed to be in crisis perpetually. The governor of South Dakota, which is on the other border, a thousand miles away, Christy Noem, has sent her National Guard to Texas to guard the border. What's going on with that? It's just ridiculous. It's the Republicans, again, saying that there's a border crisis, that this border crisis is because the Biden administration took office, because the Biden administration has, quote unquote, open borders. And that's not the truth at all. The Biden administration is definitely keeping the border fortified, is fortifying the border more, is calling for more technology, is even talking about building the wall even more in gaps, is detaining children. This sort of rhetorical game, which I think Republican governor sending National Guard to the border, is the same theater. It's like the border itself has become a theatrical production in which, you know, the the different political parties can play out this almost a game when the real issues, the real crisis, the perpetual crisis, the human rights crisis that's constant is just not addressed. The impacts of COVID on the economy and also the climate crisis, which is drought, but also these two back-to-back hurricanes. If you remember in 2020, there were two Category 4 hurricanes that nailed the coasts of Nicaragua and Honduras, and that has caused massive displacement. So the World Food Program has a report out that shows that hunger in Central America went from 2 million to nearly 8 million over the last year. That is the crisis, right? That is the crisis we're talking about. If hunger has spiked to this degree, and they did a survey at the end of the year 2018, and they found that 8% of the people they surveyed had concrete plans to migrate north. In the beginning of 2021, in January, they did another survey that showed 15% of people, so it nearly doubled, 15% had concrete plans to migrate. We're not looking at the root causes. When you look at the border, the border is a militarized response that's ignoring the root causes, ignoring the United States' responsibility. Mm-hmm. 
in impacting some of those root causes that cause displacement to begin with. Because of unprecedented climate change and the response to it is a 19th century claim of America first. That's the response right now, yeah. There's all these assessments and reports that come out of the Pentagon, that come out of Department of Homeland Security, that essentially say exactly what you just said. One of them says that the United States, because of massive climate displacement, and this is a Pentagon report looking at the worst possible climate scenario, they said that we'd have to build up defensive fortress, uh, a defensive fortress, quote-unquote, to stop, quote-unquote, unwanted starving immigrants from Mexico, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean. People are going to be displaced everywhere. And that's why it should concern everybody, any sort of like repression of movement, stopping of movement due to this sort of displacement. Journalist Todd Miller, author of Build Bridges, Not Walls, and other books on the border. And it wasn't just beer, fireworks, and hot dog eating contests on the 4th of July. In Philadelphia, a white supremacy group known as the Patriot Front marched down the Benjamin Franklin Parkway around City Hall and through Old City. They came with plastic shields wearing identical white masks, white chinos, and black shirts. At one point, a red smoke grenade went off, lending an eerie red glow as counter-protesters and fascists swung fists. Several were detained by police. Yeah, you're real f***ing tough. You're real tough. You're real tough, you f***ing stupid idiot. Patriot Front was the name stenciled by vandals who struck the George Floyd statues in Brooklyn and Newark on the night of the Juneteenth. Police have yet to make an arrest in that case. The co-founder of the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism is Heidi Byrick. She says Patriot Front is a dangerous and anti-Semitic organization whose members were involved in the deadly Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. Patriot Front has been around since 2017. They formed just shortly after the Unite the Right riots that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, in August of 2017. And look, it's it's your standard white nationalist group. They believe the United States should be a white ethno state. They're racist. They're anti-Semitic. They'd like to throw all people of color out of this country. And one of the things that they're known for are these sort of stunts, all these defacing George Floyd memorials is part of. Are they hardcore neo-Nazis? you're going to argue that people have to be forcibly removed from the United States because they're not white, that falls under the definition of ethnic cleansing. Yes, that's a war crime. That's calling for genocide. They engage in a lot of neo-Nazi rhetoric and whatnot. I mean, they're a pretty hardcore group. The ideas that they are professing are some of the most dangerous ideas mankind has ever come up with. Which nook does this group occupy? Patriot Front folks are very close to the neo-Nazis at the Daily Stormer, which is a horrifically anti-Semitic organization. This is one of the most hardcore areas of white supremacy. That's where the Patriot Front is. And they have held quite a few marches in Washington, D.C. over the last couple of years, even during the pandemic. But what they really do is a lot of leafleting and flyering and a handful of their members, including their leader, Thomas Russo, have actually been arrested for engaging in some of this activity, and it happens all over the country. Are they violent? Is that it, or are they mostly just propaganda? Yeah, this is mostly about propaganda, but their ideas, the things that they're calling for, if they were to occur, which you know I highly doubt and hope to God is not going to happen, 
those things would require massive amounts of violence to achieve. What I also think we should remember here is that this particular group evolved out of one that was at Charlottesville, and that led to the death of an anti-racist protester and the injury of many others. So we shouldn't take Patriot Front presence anywhere lightly. And they're obviously trying to provoke people by attacking these George Floyd uh, memorials. I mean, obviously, this is despicable activity and their beliefs are despicable, but law enforcement should pay close attention to them. Heidi Byrick is co-founder of the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism.